Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon out of Romans chapter 11, verses 16 through 26, and it's titled, What Kind of Branch Are You? If you have a Bible day, open it up. Romans chapter 11. Is everybody ready? Everybody's ready? All right, you better be, because we're about to chomp off a big piece. All right, we're digging in today. This would, uh, you know, uh, I've saved this for you guys because I know you're much more spiritual than the other services. <laughs> Romans 11 is where we're going to find ourselves today. And we're going to look at several verses of Scripture. We've been walking verse by verse for many, many months now through the book of Romans. It's called expository preaching. I like it, and here's why. I never want to be a firefighter preacher. I never want to be one of those guys that's like, oh my goodness, what's on fire in the community? Let me find a little bit of scripture to throw on it like water. Instead, my goal as your pastor is to teach you to fall in love with God's word and the God of the word. And so I love the fact that God always knows what we need. That God will take some obscure passages that we may be working through, and man, I'm telling you that, oh, Holy Spirit, like a sledgehammer right between the eyes. And you're like, my goodness, I don't even think the pastor was even talking about that. No, that's called the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit of God. But sometimes what people think is impossible becomes a reality. For instance, I want to read to you, this is an actual editorial from a, uh, a newspaper in Boston over 150 years ago. This is true. This is actual. Here's what it said. It said, a man about 43 years of age, giving the name of Joshua Coppersmith, has been arrested in New York for attempting to extort funds from ignorant and superstitious people by exhibiting a device which he says will convey the human voice any distance over metallic wires so that it will be heard by the listener at the other end. He calls the instrument a telephone, which is obviously intended to imitate the word telegraph and win the confidence of those who know the success and the long-term benefits of the telegraph. Listen to this. Well-informed people know that it is impossible to transmit the human voice over the wires and that were it possible to do so, the thing would be of no practical value. <laughs> and they arrested him. And they arrested him. So if you've ever talked on the phone before, in which I would assume some of you are very gifted at, you know that this proved to be reality. They just didn't get it. It made no sense to them whatsoever. And the reason why I bring that up to you today is, for a long, long time, Romans 9, 10, and 11 made no sense. I told you that if you go back 150 years, or not even that long, 100 years ago, and you actually, you know, look at commentaries written by great commentators, when it comes to Romans 9, 10, and 11, they just kind of gloss over it because it made no sense. Because there was no nation of Israel. And yet in 1948, remember I told you last week, one of the few things that the United Nations has got right is they established Israel as a state. 
as a nation. They recognized the nation of Israel. And so now Romans 9, 10, and 11 make all the sense in the world. And so it's within that context that we live. Guys, listen to me. Not only have we seen prophecy fulfilled, we are seeing prophecy being fulfilled today. And so today, in Romans chapter 11, we'll start in verse 16. He's going to use a bit of symbolism about the nation of Israel. It's going to be very important for you to listen, pay close attention, or you'll walk out of here and you're like, I have no idea what was going on. Some of you are like, that's most Sundays. Not today. Not today. Okay, look there with me. Verse 16. He says, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also. Now, let's stop right there. Now, it's going to go a lot faster than that, but let's just stop right there. It was Jewish custom, Jewish tradition, that before they would bring in all the harvest of grain or before they, you know, started making the bread, they would bring the very first wheat or the very first lump of dough and they would commit it or they would, uh, you know, they, they would bring it to the house of God to be blessed and they would say, this is the Lord's. I'm giving the first, I'm giving the best to God. So in turn, all the rest of it, his blessings will be on. Now, we, we do something like that today. It's not an Old Testament principle. It's not a New Testament principle. It is a principle of those who love God. It's called the tithe. It's called the tithe. And it's an act of faith. And you will hear me consistently saying, if you are not tithing, tithe meaning 10%, if you are not tithing of your income to God, you are missing out on a blessing. And there are those of you who say, well, the reason why you say that is because the church needs money. And if we don't tithe, then the church won't have money and you and the staff won't receive a salary and we can't do all that we're doing around the world. Here's what I believe very clearly. As long as I'm true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, God will provide for me. The reason why I'm consistently saying you need to be a tither is not because we need money. My goodness, God has blessed this church immeasurably. I'm just blown away at the blessings that are beyond financial blessings that he lays out on this church here at Highland Park over and over again. I'm not talking about a giving issue. I want you to understand what it is like to walk by faith. For the life of me, I've not figured out folks that say, you know what, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus to keep my soul until the day that I stand in for, before his very presence, but I'll not trust him with my income. Are you kidding me? I'm thankful at an early age I had parents that taught me, listen, it's much easier and it is much more to live on 90% than 100%. And I know I'm speaking to some people that are living on 125%. Don't miss it, man. Give back to God because everything you have belongs to him. Everything you have belongs to him. And people will say, well, you know, it, it, really that's the last piece that new Christians get. It ought not be. It ought not be. You're like, well, I'll have to get rid of some things if I... Well, I mean, let's talk about needs and wants, but that's for another day. How about we just continue on, okay? He's talking about the nation of Israel, of course he is, but look at the last part of verse 16. This will be a little bit more palatable to you. If the root is holy, 
so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, the you there is Gentiles, that's me and you. I would assume me and you. I don't know, we may have some Israelites in here today. Being a wild olive tree, that would be you and I, were gathered in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but toward you on those goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. You're like, I already feel ignorant after reading those verses. <laughs> I told you, I told you, be ready, take out your fork, take out your knife. This is meat. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. What in the world is this all about? He's talking about Israel. And he's using great symbolism here for Israel. So when it comes to any kind of parable, when it comes to any kind of symbolism, it's important for you to look at every component. What does each component mean? And then we're going to come back and we're going to say, now that I understand what each component means, what does it personally say to me? So first of all, let's look at God's tree of life. God's tree of life. And when I use the terminology God's tree of life, I would say this. God's tree of life. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord. God's tree of life. If you're a part of God's tree of life, here's what that means. It means that heaven will be your home when you leave this earth. It means that you have uh, eternal life with him forever and ever, right? That is God's tree of life. But God's tree of life here is described as an olive tree. Let's look at every component. And then again, we're going to talk about what does it mean to you and I. But if you don't get the components, it's going to be hard to understand what it means to you and I. So listen very carefully. First of all, the roots. God's promises are the roots. Thousands of years ago, if you were here last Sunday, we discussed this. Thousands of years ago, God made some promises to Abraham. He tells Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of your descendants. And we know that one of his descendants is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself himself. 
And so clearly, all the nations have been blessed because of Jesus. Doesn't matter what skin color you are, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what nation you're a part of, doesn't matter what your culture is, all the world has been blessed by the promise and the coming of Jesus Christ. It's not like there's some Jewish tree over here and then over there there's another tree for those that are in Christianity. No, guys, understand that the roots of our belief, the roots of our faith go back to the very promises that God made to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do we know that? Well, I'll give you uh, how we know it. Galatians chapter 3 verse 9. The same guy who wrote what we're reading today wrote this. Paul wrote, The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, probably all of us, by faith, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. That was his promise. It's the same promise that we hold on to today. So those that have faith have been blessed through Abraham, all of the Old Testament promises, they are the root of our belief. Many times I'll have folks and they'll come to me and here's what they'll say. Hey, you know, I'm going to read the Bible through. I've never done that before. And I'm going to start out and I'm going to start in the book of Genesis. And they read the book of Genesis and they're like, well, that was interesting. It was kind of exciting, but it was interesting. And then they'll get to the book of Exodus and they're like, oh my goodness, Prince of Egypt. Oh, it was so good. They ought to make a movie out of that. And then they get to Leviticus. And then they get to Numbers. And it's like they're reading a Hebrew telephone directory. Hard name, but God, hard name, but God, hard name, but God, hard name. And they're like, I can't understand the Bible. I'm done. I can't even pronounce the names that I'm reading. And so they throw in the towel and they'll quit. Friend, listen to me. The best way to understand the Bible is to understand the New Testament first. And once you understand that, then you go back and then you study the Old Testament. And do you know what you'll find on every single page of the Old Testament? Do you know what you'll find on every single line of the Old Testament in every single chapter of the Old Testament? It's one word. I've already given it to you. Jesus. It is Jesus The blood atonement of Jesus Christ. That's the reason why in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul quotes the Old Testament 12 times. Paul is saying, listen, that's what the Old Testament means. It's Jesus. If you read the Old Testament and you don't find Jesus, you need to go back and reread it again because, again, Jesus is on every single page of the Old Testament. That's our roots. The very promises that were made to the patriarchs. That is the root of our faith. But then, secondly, let's talk about the sap in that olive tree. God's power produces fruit, and that is the sap. Look in verse 17. He says in verse 17, we became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Now, I use the New King James Version Bible, and it uses the word fatness there, but I like the word sap a lot better than the word fatness because very few of us 
tend to equate life-giving power with the word fatness. Israel's filled with olive trees. When olive trees get older, they don't get higher, they get wider. Can I get a witness this morning? They spread out. I think I'll start using that terminology. I'm just spreading out the older I get. But we can relate to that, can't we? There are some olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane that at least some of the roots are connected to the very roots that were there 2,000 years ago on that very night that Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Olive roots grow hundreds of feet underground. They search for moisture. That's the only way that they're able to make it in such a dry, harsh, arid climate like the desert of Israel. These roots go so deep and they absorb moisture and the nutrients from the soil and they bring them up and they're in the sap and then the sap goes out into the branches and that's what gives it life. So what's the analogy of sap here? It's God's power flowing in and through us. The life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the New Testament says. That is the very Spirit of God that is released through you and I. I'm here to tell you today, friend, you get all the Holy Spirit that you'll ever need the very day that you're saved. It's not a second blessing. It's not a third blessing. You don't have to sit there and pray, oh God, give me more of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I had somebody tell me that. They told you wrong. You don't need to pray, God, give me more of the Holy Spirit. Instead, your prayer need to be, may I give more of myself to the Holy Spirit. It is the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. It is the sap, right? It's the fatness that is bringing those nutrients, that is bringing life throughout the tree and is the Holy Spirit of God released through us. But then what about the natural branches? That's the Jews. The Jews are the natural branches. Look at what it says in verse 20. In verse 20 it says, some were broken off. The word there literally means that there were some that were chopped off. Does it say that all of them were? God has not totally rejected all of the Jews. Only, of the, only those that have rejected Jesus. Remember we said last week he's always had a remnant. Remember Elijah was sitting there and Elijah said, I'm the only one who believes in the one true God. Just kill me right now. I'm the only one left. You remember what God's like, God says? Are you kidding me? There are 7,000 uh, sets of knees that have not bowed to the false idol. Quit having your pity party, Elijah. You're not the only one. I've kept a remnant of my people, and he's always kept a remnant of his people. But the natural branches, many of them, they were cut off. Why? Because they rejected Jesus Christ. You, you, you ever known? You ever known a Jewish person who became a Christian? I, I, I have. We call them completed Jews. It, it, it almost seems like they're a little bit more zealous than we are. It's almost like they're a little bit more committed than we are. They seem to have almost this natural inclination to the Christian faith. The great writer C.S. Lewis, listen to what he wrote, okay? He said, in a sense, the converted Jew is the only normal human being in the world. 
All of the rest of us, from one point of view, are a special case dealt with under emergency conditions. So the only real natural branches are the remnant of Jews who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord. But then let's talk about the new branches. That'd be the Gentiles. That'd be you and I. So God's promise is all the way back from the beginning. Those are the roots. It's what we build off of. God's power to produce fruit in our life. That's the sap. That'd be the Holy Spirit, right? Natural branches, Jews, the very ones who should have recognized the Messiah, the very ones who had the prophecy of the Messiah, the very ones who should have said, yes, here he is, yet the very ones who rejected him and killed him. And then the Gentiles, the new branches. Notice what he says there. He talks about being grafted in. Uh... It hasn't been very stimulating reading, but I've been studying about grafting. Here's what you do when it comes to grafting. You take the good stock. It's like a, a trunk with a root that is intact, okay? You take good stock and you can take branches. They don't even have to be great branches. But you take those branches and you can graft those branches into the good stock and it will produce fruit. Because the life-giving power is coming out of the root into the trunk, which then brings life to those bad branches. You'll cut off a branch, and then you'll make an incision into that good stock, and then you'll attach that branch to it. You want to make sure it adheres, and so that's the reason why people will bind it, or they'll take some kind of adhesive, and they'll attach it. But they take that incision, they place that branch into it, and they make sure that it takes root, right? They make sure that it takes, and it's been grafted into this good tree. Well, Paul says here that there are some old wild roots. That'd be us. That'd be the Gentiles. They have no hope of producing any good fruit. But graciously, God has grafted many of us into the good tree. Remember what I said about the incision? You have to make an incision into the trunk and then place the branch into it. Here's what somebody said. They said, just as Eve was born out of the side of Adam, so was the church born out of the wound in the side of Jesus. We do know this, that by his wounds we are healed, right? So you guys are tracking with me? You're tracking with me? We know what the roots are. We know what the uh, sap is. We know what the natural branches are. We know what the wild branches are that have been grafted in and now they're the new branches. But then third or fifth, let's talk about the purpose. What's the purpose of the tree? Fruit. Fruit. Let me ask you, and I'll go ahead and I'll let you know I want you to answer this question out loud. It's a new philosophy that I've started that I will always let you know if I want you to answer the question out loud. If I don't say answer the question out loud, I do not want you to answer the question out loud. We've tried to make it extremely elementary. Okay, I want you to answer this question out loud. Why do people plant olive trees? Yes. 
Thank you. Even the students. To get olives. Nobody plants an olive tree and says, man, I need some good firewood. Nobody plants an olive tree and says, man, I need some shade. If you've ever seen an olive tree, it doesn't bring much shade. They are the fattest, gnarliest old trees. And, you know, now, for somebody who could care less about olives, why would anybody ever plant an olive tree? Makes no sense. I've had folks say this to me, you've just not tried the right kind of olive. You should try, you got to try the black olives, you got to try the green olives, you got to get the pitted or the non-pitted. And I tried one and that was enough. That was nasty. I mean, I can't stand it. I can't stand olives. Like, I don't, I don't like, I don't like, I even had a guy one time say, we well, got to let it set long enough in your whiskey, and then it tastes a lot better. <laughs> yep. I'm assuming everything might lose its taste when it sits in your whiskey. All I got to say is this. Now, now, whiskey, is that, is that, has the dead worm at the bottom of the bottle? Is that whiskey? What is that that has the dead worm at the bottom? Don't fall for that! <laughs> you don't know! You do not know. Tequila, Pastor, is tequila. Come on, guys. My goodness. You're the same folks that forgot you befriended me on Facebook. I see that junk. Anyway, I know. That was before you were redeemed. I get it. An olive tree that, that doesn't produce olives, that's bad wood. <coughs> it's no good. It's dead. Say, what's the point? What's the point? Here's the point. That as followers of Christ, we'll even use the terminology, that as Christians, you and I need to make sure that our lives are producing fruit. Fruit is the outward expression of the inward nature. I'll explain it this way. I had a guy in my last church. Man, he was an awesome, awesome guy. He was an older guy. He was retired from the forestry agency and uh, just a sweet, sweet man. And every Sunday he would come up and he would give me a dime and he would say, man, that one was worth a dime, preacher. That one was worth a dime. Now he meant that kind. He meant that that's good. I'm going to give you a dime for that one. Every now and then he'd bring a half dollar and he'd say, oh, you knocked it out of the ballpark this morning. But he could look at any leaf and tell you what tree it came from. And not only like, hey, yeah, that's from a pine tree, he would tell you what kind of pine tree. And he would give you the specific scientific name and the species of tree and all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, how in the world do you know all this? How do you remember all this? And he's like, well, I've done it my whole life. I know. And it just fascinated me. I've never been able to do that. You could bring him bark, and he would, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you where that's from, and this is a special kind of tree that is only grown in northwest Arkansas at a certain time of the year. And I'm like, this is crazy. I can't tell the difference between a pine tree and an oak tree and a spaghetti tree. <laughs> I'm not very good when it comes to trees, but I'll tell you what. I walk up to a tree, and it's got an apple growing off of it. Guess what? That's an apple tree. If I were to go in your backyard and there's an orange on that tree, hey, guess what? You got an orange tree in your backyard. If I were to go in your backyard and there's a persimmon, I'd say, chop it down. Chop it. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you love persimmons. Me, 
I, I love my persimmons with my olives. Um, the fruit reveals outwardly the inner nature of that tree. The same is true in the Christian life. When there is fruit in your life, what you're doing is outwardly expressing the inner nature and character of Jesus Christ. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. I mean, let, let's just talk about, we'll just talk about three of them. The fruit of the Spirit, it's Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is love. Jesus Christ is peace. Jesus Christ is joy. That's the reason why over in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this. Hey, you want to know how you'll know if they're a follower of mine? They have one of those little ichthys fishes on the back of their car. He didn't say that, does he? You want to know how the, you'll tell that they're a follower of mine? They've got one of those little cool saying Christian t-shirts. You know, be right or be left. Be sanctified or be French fried. You know, t-shirts. You want to know how? Because they listen to Christian music all the time. That's how you'll tell. That's not what he says. He says, you want to know? You want to know how you'll know they're a follower of mine? By their fruit. By their fruit. That's how you'll tell that they follow him. He says a good tree is not going to produce bad fruit and a bad tree is not going to produce good fruit. So the fruit is the purpose. It's what God's doing in and through you. That's God's tree of life. So now, hopefully, this is starting to make a little bit more sense. This is called his plan of salvation. But then let's look at God's truth for us. Look at, look at what he says in verse 22. He says, consider. Now, consider means this, to stare at, to study. It means to ponder. There are some things you need to stare at. There are some things that you need to study. He says, consider, and there are three things to consider. First of all, there is a warning. It's God's warning, and it is of severity. Look in verse 22. He says, consider the severity of God. So what? So you won't be conceited. So that you won't be arrogant. In verse 18, he says this, don't brag about anything that you've done in your life because you don't support the root. The root supports you. Who's the root? Jesus Christ. It's all based on, you said, well, no, no, hang on now. You said the root are the promises of God. Who's the promise of God? Jesus. Jesus. I'll just say this. Whenever I ask a question, if you don't know, a good place to start is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the root. So he says, listen, you don't need to be bragging about your fruit. Brag about the root. Brag about Jesus and what he does in your life. That anything good in your life as a Christian, it does not come from you. It comes from the life of God, right? It comes from that life-giving sap. It comes from that that runs in and through you. That the fruit in your life is not anything that you have done. No, it is what God has done so that God is the one who gets all the glory. And you better be careful that you don't brag about what you've done. Because really, if you've done anything that's worth anything, you've not done it. And three times he says, don't boast, don't brag, don't be arrogant, don't be conceited. You're like, well, you're, it, it sounds like you've got to be pretty humble. <laughs> yeah. It's humility. 
It's humility to sit there and recognize, my goodness, if anything good comes out of this life, it's all because of him. It's not because of me. Friend, listen to me. The fact that God would produce anything good out of me. Wow. Because I know me. And he knows me better than even I know me. I'm telling you, he deserves great glory. Great glory. And here's his warning. He says, if you're not careful, you'll be cut off from usefulness. That in this passage of Scripture, God says this, that those natural branches, he says, he says don't you think I will cut off these that have been grafted in if I cut off the natural branches? And then sometimes people will read that and people will say, oh, oh, oh. Oh, look at this, they'll pull it out of context and they'll say, see, see, I've been telling you, I've been telling you what that pastor preaches down there in Highland Park is wrong. He says that once you're saved, you're going to be saved, that salvation is not something that you can lose, yet it says right here that God will cut you off, that he cut off the natural branches, the Jews, then what makes you think he won't cut you off as the grafted in? Friend, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about fruitfulness. He's talking about usefulness. It's talking about your effectiveness. It's talking about you becoming unfruitful. Here's what I believe. I believe it is possible for a season, for a Christian to be so rebellious and so disobedient to God that he removes them from a place of usefulness and a place of fruitfulness, yet they're still a child of God. I'll give you an example of that from the Old Testament. And we'll use the very people that he's talking about here, the Israelites, the chosen people of God, right? So he comes to them and he says, hey, listen, I want you to go to the land that I'm giving you. And yet they keep wandering around in the wilderness. They're lost in the wilderness because he told them at Kadesh Barnea, I want you to cross over the Jordan and I want you to go in. And they're like, but hang on, God, we've brought back the grapes from that place. And these grapes are huge. See how big these grapes are? Can you imagine how big the people must be to eat grapes this big? They'll slaughter us. And so here they go for 40 years in disobedience, wandering around in the desert. And you know that for 40 years, God every day fed them manna. Because they were still his children. They had just lost their usefulness and their fruitfulness and they were just miserable. You see, I'm convinced that the most miserable person on the face of the planet is not a lost person. I'm convinced the most miserable person on planet Earth is a Christian that is out of the will of God, a backslidden, fruitless Christian, because you have a sense of being cut off from God's fruitfulness. Paul, Paul commented that he had a fear that he might be cut off before he left this earth, he talks about it continually, being disqualified from fruitfulness and usefulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want you to listen to what he says. And this is the very same one, again, writing what we're reading this morning. 1 Corinthians 9, he says, everyone who competes in the game, so he loves using these analogies. We're reading about the olive tree analogy today. Here he's writing about an athletic contest. 
a race, a game. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body. And there are even people who have pulled that out of context and they beat their own bodies. He's not saying he literally beats his body. What he is saying is he disciplines his flesh. He disciplines himself. And I make it my slave. It means this. He's not a slave to his body. His body is a slave to him. My goodness, I wish people would get that. I make it a slave so that after I preach to others, and here's his fear, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Paul is saying, man, I, I want to be so careful, right? I want to be careful where I go. I want to be careful what I say. I want to be careful what I do. I don't want to be in the kind of uh, wrong kind of relationship. I want to stay holy. I want to stay pure. So what? So God can use me because my greatest fear is that sometimes in the future, I will become disqualified for the prize. You say, ha, ah, see, he says the prize. He's not talking about heaven, friend. The prize here is not heaven. The prize is the crown that God gives out. It is the usefulness. It is the fruitfulness. Let's put it in the right context. You and I know people who one, were one time on fire for God, man. They were serving God. They sat in this very room Sunday after Sunday. They used to sit right next to you. They used to be a part of your life group. They used to study God's Word. You used to encourage one another. And they were faithful for God, on fire for God. And now they're just chopped off and they're absolutely miserable. You know how I know that? Here's what I think. And if I'm wrong, please don't correct me because it's just going to break my heart. I don't think it's the fact that they don't like me. I'm going with that. Why do they run from us when they see us across the store? Like we're on fire. Why do you text and you call and no response? Why have they unfriended you on Facebook? By the way, for some of you, that's coming from me. I'm about to do it. I don't think it's because, I don't think it's because they don't like me or they don't like us. I think it's what we represent. Conviction. That we're always going to be those folks, or at least I'm always going to be that pastor that says this. Get in a local church that preaches and teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may not be this one. I mean, I put this one up above others because I know the God of this one, but there are some great churches in this city who preach that salvation is through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. We break bread with them. So if it's not here, maybe somewhere else. But listen to me, get to be a part of a local body of believers. And hear me, parents, hear me, parents. Do not let your child's pursuit of some false idol rob your child of being a part of a family that says God's house is important. Yeah. Well, no, the reason why we do all this travel stuff is because we want to be salt 
in the, you know, we want to be a light in the darkness. And so that's the reason why we go and we're part of all this because we want to make friends with all these people. We're going to be Jesus and just spread Jesus. And let me, I want to, I want you to evaluate the next time you're on one of these trips, how much Jesus is being talked about. How much Jesus is going around. He says here, listen, listen, I don't want to become useless. I don't want to become disqualified. So there's a warning of severity. But then secondly, there's a welcome. And it's a welcome to the spirit-filled life. The key to the fruitfulness in the Christian life is allowing the Holy Spirit of God to flow out of the vine, to flow out of the root, to flow out of the trunk through us. Now, what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God? Again, we'll just stick with the three that we've already mentioned. Love, joy, and peace. Let's start with those three. You do not live the Christian life by sitting there and saying, you know what, man, I'm going to try real hard to love this week. Oh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to try real hard to be, to be peaceful. I'm going to try to have so much joy in my life. You'll never be able to do that. It's not about you trying to do anything. It's about you falling more in love with Jesus Christ, surrendering control of your life to Jesus Christ, and instead allowing that sap that is already flowing through your body, allowing that sap to produce the fruit. It's not about you and I trying real hard. We will never be able to do anything. It is only through the life-giving power of God. Remember what we said? You know, that's the reason why we can't brag. Oh, look at me, man. Look at what I've done. Oh, look at what I've done. I've raised myself up. Oh, the guy I used to be, the way I used to talk, where I used to go. Oh, man, I did all this. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus was along for the ride. But, man, look at what all I've done. No, you ain't done a thing. It's like I love the definition of salvation. What's my part in salvation? Well, God's part's the saving. My part was the sinning. But notice what he says. You don't live it out saying, I'm going to try. That's not the way. He says, without me, you can do nothing. So make sure that you're closely attached to Jesus Christ and to that connection. And that connection is so firm that the very life, the very character, and the very inner nature of Jesus Christ is going to flow outside of you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is more loving, Stephen Kyle or Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. Who is more peaceful, Stephen Kyle? Or some of you are like, who's Stephen Kyle? That'd be me. be me. I don't usually refer to myself as Stephen Kyle, but... Who's more peaceful, Stephen Kyle or Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. Who's got more joy? Stephen Kyle or Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. And it's the very same way with you. He wants to let his life flow out and through you. So what is our job? Just stay stuck to the vine. Just stay stuck to the vine. And by the way, he's got a firm grip on you. Stay stuck to the vine. Let me give you the third one. We'll finish this up, right? We have the third truth. It's the wonder of the Jews being grafted back in. 
And this is kind of brings some culmination to it all. Verse 23, verse 23. If they do not continue in unbelief, they will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. And then look down in verse 25. He talks about this mystery, this wonder. He says right now they are experiencing a blindness. And so the picture is, guys, that right now, not fully, not completely, but partially, there is, the reason why it's not complete is because, again, there's this remnant of Jews. There are these completed Jews that are Christians, but partially many of them have been blinded by what? By unbelief. Unbelief in who? In Jesus. Verse 25. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Here's what I believe. I believe that God in all of his sovereignty That God in his plan has already determined how many Gentiles will be saved. He is all-knowing. Now, don't miss this. It's like I said earlier. Just because he is sovereign, just because he knows all, just because he is not bound by time and space, does not mean that he does not extend grace to you. You can be saved today if you'll call upon the name of Jesus. If that's not true, I'll close this book and walk off this stage and I'll never preach another word again. But I believe that God already knows what that number of Gentiles is. And when that number of Gentiles is fulfilled, it could happen today right here at Highland Park Baptist Church. That last lost person gets saved. It could happen in another church, another church around the world. But when that last lost Gentile is saved, here's what I believe is going to happen. I believe the Father is going to turn to the Son, and he's going to say, that's it. That's the last one, the last Gentile, so it's time. Go get my church. And I believe he's going to come and he's going to rapture the church back. You say, when's that going to happen? Here's what I say. I'm not on the scheduling committee. I'm on the welcoming committee. He'll rapture the church out of here. To me, it all fits together. Listen, Zechariah chapter 12. We're going to draw this kind of conclusion. Zechariah 12. It was written 500 years before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. It was written 250 years before they ever used crucifixion as a form of execution. Listen to what he says in verse 10 of Zechariah 12. And I will pour out on the house of David... And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced. Wait just a second. Pierced? Who's the one they pierced with nails? Mm. They'll look on the one they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And they will grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn Son, And that's the reason why it says in verse 26, and all Israel will be saved. Here's what I believe is going to happen, what is going to take place, that when the church is raptured out of here, and I believe it could happen at any moment, but again, I do not know, neither do you. If you ever get somebody start throwing around dates, you can say he's a quack and he doesn't know. He doesn't. 
But when the church is raptured out of here and Jesus is realized to be who he really is, the Messiah, all of a sudden the scales are going to fall off of the eyes of the Jews and they're literally going to weep and they're going to mourn and they're going to say, oh my goodness, the one that we've been waiting for, it was Jesus all along. The one that we've longed for since the day of our father Abraham, the Messiah. We missed it. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And they're going to recognize him as their Messiah. And that is happening partially now. But there will be an amazing coming to Christ of the Jews after the rapture of the church. That's what he means here when he says God will graft them back in again. And so that's why I say he's not through with the Jew yet. And listen to me. He's not through with you yet either. Let me ask you today, what kind of branch are you? Have you been grafted into the trunk? Is Jesus flowing in and through you? Many of you that are listening to me today have already professed Christ as Lord and Savior. And the problem is that some of you, because of some kind of sin that you're involved in in your life, some kind of rebellion in your life, you're going to face the danger or you are facing the danger of being chopped off from usefulness and from fruitfulness and from joy. And so today, why don't you get serious about it? And why don't you sit there and why don't you make a commitment and why don't you say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to stick as close to you as I can and I'm going to live holy and pure for you so that you will produce fruit through me and it's only what you can do. I'm just staying stuck to the vine. And then there are some of you. You're not grafted in. You're not a part of this tree of life because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You hear me say the word relationship and it gets so lost on you. When I say a relationship, here's what it means. I don't just talk to him or think about him when I'm here on Sundays or Wednesdays. No, I I don't just act like a Christian when I'm around other people that I know profess to be a Christian. It's not, oh, I believe that there's a Jesus. No, no, no. The word means you know him. It is very intimate. It means that you walk with him and you talk with him. It is an ongoing thing. It is every day of your life. It is not I have been saved, right? It is I am being saved. It is I am in Christ. I don't go back to a past event. For me, I can go back to the time that I confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I can go back to that event. But I think so many people check it off like a rite of passage. Yeah, I've been there, done that. It's not been there, done that. I'm there and it's doing. And every day, every day I walk with him and he walks with me. I have a relationship with him like I would have a relationship with someone close in my life. Do you have that? Now, there are always some folks that'll sit there and here's what they'll say. They'll say, you know what? I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've I've said no so many times that I'm beyond being able to be a part of this tree. Okay, well, 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 let's go back to the last part we read. The Jews being grafted back in. 
These are the very people that should have recognized him. These are the very people that had the prophecy. These are the very folks, remember last week we said, you know, he sent them prophets to say, draw near to Yahweh God, and they killed them. These are God's chosen people to bring the greatest blessing the world's ever known. And they rejected him, and they crucified him, and they killed him. And yet God says, I'm not done with you yet. I will save many of you. And you'll be grafted back into the tree. Friend, hear me today. If you can hear these very words, you've not gone too far. He'll graft your old wild branch into that tree. If you'll just trust in him. Could I ask you to bow your heads with me this morning? Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Again, brothers and sisters in Christ, where are you? Where is your usefulness? Where is your fruitfulness? Maybe you've allowed the things and the pursuits of this world to take precedent in your life. And right now, the Holy Spirit of God is so squeezing on that heart saying, oh, the preacher's been reading your mail. Oh, no, not the preacher, no. I can't convict anybody. Only the Holy Spirit of God can. But today you need to do some business. Today you need to get some things right. And then there are others of you. Today the greatest need you have is to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. My goodness, if I could make the decision to get saved, you'd all be saved. But it is an individual personal decision. Jesus has already done all that needs to be done. And today he invites you to put your faith and trust in him and receive that gift of forgiveness of sin, that gift of eternal life, that gift of peace and purpose that only comes in Jesus. And so in just a moment, we'll stand. And if you're here today and you say, today I am ready to trust Jesus with my life, we're going to invite you to come. There'll be pastors all along the front. Come today and say, today I give my life to Jesus. Or maybe if you're here and you're like, you know what, I, I would, but I've got some questions. And, and I know you guys probably can't answer those questions. Give us a try. Come, tell us. I'd trust Jesus, but I need some questions answered first. Let's talk about that. Come on, come on. We'd be happy to do that. And there are some of you right now, your heart's racing a million miles an hour. I go back to the question that I ask so regularly. If you were to die today, you know that heaven would be your home. If you cannot say absolutely yes, you need to get that straight today. So come. Let's talk about this. Let us introduce you to the one that gives power and hope. His name's Jesus. Oh God, may you speak clearly. May your Holy Spirit roam throughout this place. May you take my feeble attempt to try to explain this scripture and may you supernaturally do something before it reaches the hearts of those that are in this room. You know exactly what we need. You know exactly where we are. Today, may you get glory. 
For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.